I want to thank all of you that have come out on this weekend, this holiday weekend. I long for the day when more visitors will come in on a holiday than our regulars leave. So I guess that'll be a good sign. I don't know. We're in Genesis chapter 34. Perhaps one of the most difficult chapters in all of Scripture when when we jump into it. A lot of revenge, a lot of violence in this chapter. Jacob has returned to Canaan, but he hasn't returned to Bethel. He has not been completely obedient to God, for it appears God tells him to return to Bethel, but he goes to another area. Jacob, when he met his brother Esau, he said he would going to return with him to the south, to that part of Canaan. But in fact, Jacob went north to Shechem. Jacob, I say this as a reminder, is chosen of God. And if we didn't know that, we would be troubled by his character. (laughs) Jacob is not the kind of person that I would like to do business with. There always seems to be some surprise that Jacob brings forth. He seems to always have a hidden agenda. And that's just the way he operates. He operates in half-truths, deception, and sometimes outright lies come out of Jacob. And there are always lies that benefit Jacob. Jacob would have made a good politician. Yet, don't forget that he is God's chosen. And God himself sees something in Jacob he likes. No, 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 let me rephrase. God sees something in Jacob that he loves immensely. Jacob is a good example for Uh, us as believers how we're not allowed to judge other believers you know we can't see the heart we don't know what's in the heart like God does the attitude of heart uh, we we can't see and therefore we're not allowed to judge a person's heart and motives As believers, and I'm self-included here, we do not always handle God's gifting and God's blessings in a gracious way. Sometimes we let ourselves get a little too involved into that. But we Christians, we tend to heap praise upon those that are gifted by God and not God himself. We tend to worship the vessel, not the creator. Our society is very, very guilty of hero worship. We admire people like actors, rock bands, athletes, (laughs) and they seem to get a, a lot of praise and accolades from all those that admire them. 
But I got news for you. Tom Cruise and John Travolta are not people that I would consult on any matter of importance. Not any whatsoever. And yet they spout their opinions and the world laps it up. Concerning athletes, I can appreciate a great athlete. I appreciate their ability. But as men and women of character, there aren't very many athletes that I truly appreciate. And if we're not careful, self-included here, we can place Jacob in that category of no respect. Chuck Smith tells the story how he used to kind of tear Jacob apart when he would teach about Jacob. And, and, he, and God convicted him of it, and God spoke to his heart and basically said, if I don't convict Jacob, why are you convicting him? And boy, am I in that crowd. <laughs> Jacob is a patriarch. He is chosen of God. But we get to see all of Jacob's failure played out in Scripture before us. And Scripture, if it isn't anything else, it can be brutally honest. And it is honest with its handling of Jacob. So let's read chapter 34 of Genesis. And we will read uh, really the ugly picture of Jacob and his, and his two sons. So... Chapter 34 of Genesis. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hevite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field. When they heard it, the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem belongs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife, and make marriages with us. Give us your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourself. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. 
But on this condition we will consent to you if you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young men <clears throat> did not delay to do this thing because he del delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem his son came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us and to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, every animal theirs be ours? Let us consent to them and they that dwell with us. And all who went out of the gates of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Levi Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all of the males." And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because the sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, and what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth and all the little ones, their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? What a story. My goodness. Uh... Does it sound like it's modern day? Yes, it does. You know, this kind of thing goes on all the time, rape and murder. But Dinah, the daughter of Leah and Jacob, she goes out for a night on the town. She is not escorted. She is young, and very likely she's very attractive. And all this adds up for double trouble in her life. <laughs> Dinah, she's probably in her early to mid-teens. The question becomes, why is Jacob and Leah, what are they thinking? Why are they allowing this young girl to go out into this idol-worshiping town alone I uh, that's puzzling we don't have an answer for that but Shechem uh, the young man he is the prince he is soon to be king 
of Shechem. In fact, the city is even named after him. He is a Hevite. A Hevite, they were peaceful, sinful, but they were peaceful people, uh, not prone to violence. And Shechem is a non-believer. He is pagan in his beliefs. And if we read somehow that he didn't rape Dinah, we would conclude that he was a nice guy. You know, he's trying to do what's right. But Shechem has raped Dinah. And remember that as we go through this story, because he will almost appear to be an innocent victim, and he is not innocent. Shechem wants Dinah as a wife, and there's no mention or thought or in this story about what Dinah desires. It seems that she doesn't have a choice in this whole matter. And all we read about are the feelings of Shechem and his dad, and plus Jacob and his sons. There's no mention of how Dinah feels. Shechem, he has gone to his dad, king of the city, and he has a request for dad. Get me this young woman as a wife. That sounds romantic, doesn't it? <laughs> Meanwhile, Jacob receives word that his daughter has been raped. That's a word no father ever wants to hear. And there's a peculiar reaction by Jacob. We don't hear him speak a word. He's silent. He remains silent at this great wrong that has been done to his daughter. Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, they are grieved and it says they are very angry. And they're declaring, this rape of our sister, it's a disgraceful thing and it ought not to have been done. And they are very correct. And now we have Hamor, Shechem's father. He approaches Jacob and his sons, and he is in his own way attempting to make peace. The soul of my son Shechem. Interesting choice of words there. The soul of my son Shechem. The inner man, this inner being of Shechem, longs for your daughter. And Hamor's, his proposal is this. Allow my son Shechem to marry your daughter and let us be one big happy family. Our children and our wealth, we will be, you know, all pulled together and we'll be interchanged and you take our daughters for your wives and we'll take your daughters for your wives and everybody wins. But that isn't the case, is it? Think back on Jacob now. Remember why Jacob went off to Uncle Laban's? It, he went off to Uncle Laban's because his mother, Rebecca, did not want him to marry one of the locals. She did not want her son marrying an idol-worshipping pagan. 
that brings up a point. It is so very critical for Christians to marry Christians. It's critical. There are three conditions that I feel have to be met for a marriage to be successful, to be all that God intended it to be. One, there has to be a physical attraction there, a natural attraction to your spouse-to-be. You gotta like what you see, okay? <laughs> Put it plainly. Secondly, there has to be the soul connection that Shechem talks to his father about and his father mentions kind of a personality type connection. You got to like the same kind of things. Like we both like pizza, you know, whatever. But you got to like the same things. Um, we both like barbecue. And by the way, we're going to have a barbecue tonight. Mike's going to barbecue for us. It will be, it's our 4th of July tonight because it rained like crazy on the 4th and we didn't get to shoot off our fireworks. Tonight's that night. <laughs> but anyway, 6 o'clock. Um, you got to have similar likes. You got to connect in a personality type way. Third, and this is which the world often ignores or never even looks into you got to consider the spiritual beliefs of that person that you're wanting to marry. I can only say both parties should be believers. What we believe becomes more and more important as a marriage progresses. As that relationship develops, you need to connect spiritually. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story, and I don't want you to try to speculate who I'm talking about because you don't know, okay? But you'll try to guess. I know you folks. A while back in our fellowship, there was a young man who went off to college, and he began to fall in love with a young lady. And he was getting serious about this young lady, and it came time for him to have a very serious conversation with her. He simply explained to her she needed to be a Christian if their relationship was to go on and develop. So he took this young lady, he took her back to her home state, her home area, and he took her to a Calvary chapel. And there she got saved. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. And to say, I'm proud of this young man for taking a stand, well, that's an understatement. But to make a long story short, she became a believer. They got engaged and they got married. Now they can relate to each other completely. Physically, solely and spiritually and that's 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 a story with a happy ending but back to Jacob and to Dinah and sons Simeon and Levi they respond deceitfully to Hamor and his request to peacefully coexist 
Simeon and Levi, they are products of their father, Jacob. They have seen and heard their father speak deceitfully, even to his brother Esau, about such thing as where they would live in Canaan. Jacob has displayed a pattern before his children, and they have observed their father. And the thing they have observed is that their dad is less than truthful. Oftentimes, he even lies. Wow. Parents, we have an obligation to be the best example we can be for our children. I love my mother, as most children love their mother. But my mother was not always truthful with the way she presented the situation. <laughs> and for years, as a young man and even into my middle age, I felt it was my job to correct my mother. And God had to show me that it wasn't my job, but that's a different story. But I saw things in my mom that I did not like. And that was she would tell partial truths to get you to believe something that was untrue. And it troubled me that my mother would be this way. But when we observe a person in authority, we usually take one or two paths. We either become like them or we become contrary to them. Simeon and Levi have taken on the characteristics of their father, Jacob, and they take on that deceitfulness that they have seen displayed by Jacob. But it says of Shechem that he was more honorable than his dad, Hamor. But there is no way we can justify Shechem's rape of Dinah, and I'm not trying to. Shechem was very guilty of rape. But Simeon and Levi, they take the deceitful, violent path in their revenge. And they even plan to now murder Shechem. You have to understand this about premeditated murder in the Old Testament or under the law, there was no sacrificial offering that you could make to receive the covering, the forgiveness of premeditated murder. There was none. David, when he killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, God had to send a prophet to him and tell David that he had been forgiven because David had no way to have that forgiveness assured to him except by the prophet. But Simeon and Levi, they've got reason to be angry. They are grieved. But here's the bad thing. Their revenge, their payback is out of control. It's over the top. It is more than completely unjustified. 
And they speaks about what Simeon and Levi want them to do. They said, we want every, all the males of this city to be circumcised. Now, there's a reason that we circumcise boy babies at an early age. And mainly, it's because it is so painful. <laughs> Jews do it on the eighth day of the child. That is when everything is perfect for that child to be circumcised. And this is the condition of peace that Simeon and Levi have offered Hamor and Shechem. That all the males, not just Shechem and Hamor, all the males of the city are to be circumcised. And then we have verse 25. Now on the third day after the circumcision, when all of Shechem, the entire city, is in pain... Simeon and Levi come boldly into the city and slaughter all of the men. Not just Shechem. Shechem is guilty of rape, but all the males of the city, whether they knew Shechem or not, they are killed. And this is a great and tragic overkill. It is barbaric in its violence. And then they loot the city. They take the animals. They take the herds. They go door to door taking anything of value, even women and children, into slavery. Revenge is a great motivator. It's not a good motivator, but it's a great motivator. Revenge has exposed the hearts of Simeon and Levi. It has shown who they really are. Revenge is never justified. Our scripture reading talks about how vengeance belongs to God. And Simeon and Levi they find themselves now very capable of doing more wickedly than the godless Hevites of Shechem. Jacob, as the father of Dinah, his silence on all of this, it's deafening. Where are you, Jacob? Stand up. We want to hear from you. You are this man of God. You are the patriarch. What do you have to say about it? And what we hear him say will not be pleasant. Here's what Jacob said. Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the people of the land. And since I am few in number, they will come and kill me. And I shall be destroyed my household and I. A few too many personal pronouns there, Jacob. <laughs> he is only concerned for himself. Many times we think by having been done wrong that we have a right to display vengeance. Or at least we have the right to hold a grudge. I mean, come on, that's the good old American way. 
But revenge and grudges are nothing more than a lack of forgiveness and they're really nothing but a form of hate. Each and every one of us has been done wrong. I don't care if you've lived in this world for any amount of time, you have been done wrong. And you can say that you've had things done to you that ought not to have been done. I once had a family member sniveling about how they had been mistreated and how life was unfair. So I begin to give this detailed account of my life and how unfair things had been for me. And this person responded to me, well, God doesn't give us anything more than we're able to, to handle. I said, all right, you started it. I, I'm just jumping in. <laughs> but mankind, and many times believers, will hold a grudge against God. One time, a Christian lady was pouring out her troubles to me. And I, I asked her, I said, have you really prayed about this? Have you talked to God about your situation, your problems? And her reply was, was a little startling. She said, God doesn't answer my prayers. So I take it upon myself to assure her God does hear her prayers and God does answer her prayers, but they're not maybe always the way we think they should be, but God does hear and answer our prayers. But this woman was attempting to use reverse psychology on God. She was simply pouting, trying to force God to intervene in her life to give her the answers to her prayers in her way. She wasn't wanting a no from God. That amounts to nothing more than having a grudge against God. Sometimes when I pray, I make it known to God that he has complete leeway in my life to ignore this prayer that I'm praying. <laughs> You ever pray that way? God, you can cancel it all out right now because I really don't know what's best. I don't even know how to pray for all of the situations in my own life. And thus I rely, rely heavily upon the Spirit of God and pray in the Spirit. And I do it on a regular basis because my vision my wisdom is so, so limited. And by the way, so is yours. I have this little motto that I try to live by. Let God be God. And he's doing a good job. When we close a prayer, and we, you know we'll close prayers here this morning, and we use the term in Jesus' name, amen. 
maybe we don't realize it, but what we're saying there is we're giving God our permission to answer our prayer in his way. In Jesus' name simply means, God, do this according to your character. Do this in a way that pleases you. And that's how we really want to pray. For God loves us. He wants best for us. And sometimes that means telling us no. Sometimes that means you're not ready. Sometimes that means yes. Now we have our new little prayer area here in the back. And if you have anything that you need to pray about, we'll have people back there that will agree with you in prayer. It's always good for us to have someone to agree with us in prayer. Take advantage of this little area. People will be back there. So, I wish the story of Shechem was a better story, but it isn't. I wish Jacob and Simeon and Levi would have done the honorable and right thing, but they didn't. Do they have forgiveness? I'm sure they do. Do we do wrong things? Unfortunately, we do. But we have Jesus, who is more than willing to forgive us if we will but repent and turn to him. Take advantage of grace. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer.